0: Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear, page by page. This is page 408. I unscrewed the top of the feeders and poured a third of the mare's medicine into each. I held out the empty vial to Alvaron. What do you normally do with these? He set it on the table near his bed. I watched the cage until I saw one of the birds fly to a feeder and drink. If you tell Stapes you want to feed them yourself, will it keep him from meddling with their food? Yes, he always does exactly as I tell him. Good. Let them drain the feeders before you refill them. They'll get a better dose that way. And we'll see the results faster. Where do you want me to put the cage? He looked around the room, his eyes moving sluggishly. Next to the chest of drawers in the sitting room, "'he said finally. "'I should be able to see the cage from here.' "'I carefully rolled the cage into the next room. "'When I returned, I found Stapes pouring the mare a glass of apple draw. "'I made a bow to Alvaron, "'With your permission, Your Grace.' "'He made a gesture of dismissal. "'Stapes, Quoth will be returning later this afternoon. "'Let him in, even if I happen to be sleeping.' Stapes nodded stiffly and gave me another disapproving look. He may be bringing me a few things as well. Please don't mention it to anyone. If there is anything you require. Alvaron gave a tired smile. I know you would, Stapes. I am simply putting the boy to use. I would rather have you close at hand. Alvaron patted his manservant's arm and Stapes looked mollified. I let myself out. My trip to Severn Low took hours longer than it needed to. Though I chafed at the delay, it was a necessary one. As I walked the streets, I caught glimpses of folk dogging along behind me. I wasn't surprised. From what I had seen of the rumor-driven nature of the mayor's court, I expected to have a servant or two watching my errands in Severn Low. As I've said, the mayor's court was rather curious about me at this point, and you have no idea what lengths bored nobility will go to in order to nose about in other people's business. While the rumours themselves were of no concern to me, the effort could be catastrophic. If Codicus heard I had gone shopping through apothecaries after visiting the mayor, what steps would he take? Anyone willing to poison the mare wouldn't hesitate to stuff me like a candle. And that's the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana.
1: I'm Jeremy, and I also like to be stuffed like a candle.
0: <laughs> I think it's snuffed, not stuffed.
1: Mm, I do too.
0: Also, I think there's a word missing in that sentence. Well, I guess maybe not. No. I, th- I feel like the word out should be after snuffed.
1: No, you snuff a candle.
0: Fine.
2: Both are acceptable. Both are correct. Quoth is committing the worst sin a worker can do. He's doing time theft.
0: (laughs) That's my favorite sin.
2: (laughs)
1: Mm. Mm. So there is more evidence to support Nick's read of Alvaron and Stapes, uh, because Stapes is disapproving that Quoth is to be let into the mayor's room at any hour of the day or night. And he does say like, and not in so many words, but he basically says, like, why aren't you letting me help you? And Avaron basically has to say, like, you know, I know you'd help me if you would, dear. And he, like, pats him on the hand, which is, like, not necessarily something you do with your servant. Although I think that a case can be made that they're just, you know, I, and I realize how this sounds even as I say it, but they're just good friends. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, there's more mounting evidence for Nick's theory.
2: Yeah, I'm less convinced that this is like an egalitarian relationship, but I think it is perhaps what passes for a relationship when you are a closeted homosexual at the mayor's level in this world. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, uh, now that I've thoroughly convinced you and all the listeners, we needn't go over it again.
0: I mean... We will probably again tomorrow and the next day. No,
2: we said we're not going to, so we're obviously going to stop.
0: Right, because that stopped us before.
2: That's right. The birds are hummingbirds. Yes, we
1: we talked about this when you were absent, but I think, yes, we have decided that they are flits. Flits are hummingbirds. Hummingbirds are flits.
0: I discovered via the podcast that hummingbirds in reality come in red and yellow, which... I did not realize because I've only seen the uh the red-throated ones
1: mm-hmm. with the green
0: bodies before.
1: Yeah, I feel so like I the sort a of new thing. iridescent red and green ones that we get in Canada, like that's those are the kind that are more common where we live, but I there are hummingbirds all over the world and they come in a variety of wonderful colors. Truly delightful. Pro tip, if you want to see some cool animals, follow Marianne Williamson on Twitter. She's always posting, like, wacky colored <laughs> birds and bugs. Delightful. Truly delightful. <laughs> yes, she does love brightly colored things, doesn't she? She does. She's, she's great. <laughs> Honestly, I stand a queen. And she, like all of us, simply wants to be reborn in the body of a 12-foot-tall cat person on the paradise planet of Pandora. Whom amongst us?
2: Yes, who amongst us? Uh, I, like everyone else who watched that movie, wept for weeks upon leaving the theater, knowing that I could never truly travel to Pandora and live among the Navi.
1: Mm -hmm. Listeners, I wish to make it plain that unlike some of my co-hosts, perhaps, I unironically love James Cameron's Avatar and eagerly await the five sequels. Uh And uh, I almost were delighted by the fact that Marianne Williamson interviewed James Cameron and was like, by the way, I showed this movie in in the West Bank. And I think it really brought the Israelis and Palestinians (laughs) together. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: Anyway, Marianne Williamson. Uh, Yeah, they were... uh, They were united in cackling over the obvious evil of the United States military in the very thinly veiled allegory of that movie. Yeah. That's why it's good.
1: Um, (laughs) Anyway, uh, Marianne for president 2024. Uh, I do think it's kind of interesting that the mayor, like this seems so intuitive to me that it's obvious, but I think it is meant to illustrate that the mayor does not have quotes grounding in science when Quoth kind of explains that because the, because the subquicks are smaller and have a higher metabolism than he, than the mayor does, they'll be able to see the effects of the poison a lot faster in them, which is like, you know, that's the basis of a lot of the science that uh, the chemical companies do now. And they're like testing drugs. They test them on mice or on, you know, fruit flies or whatever, because they have a much faster metabolism and a much faster life cycle. So you see what happens to them a lot faster.
2: And this also sets up the probably the main ticking clock and source of tension over the next few chapters. Because, like as what's going to happen to them? Seasoned reader. Yeah, well, no, as we seasoned readers remember, they refuse to die. And uh, the mayor starts to think that Quoth is lying to him and is just Quoth is poisoning him because he feels shitty from his withdrawal. Right? The Sipquicks are there to prove that there's a poison. And when they don't die, Fo starts to get pretty nervous mm.
1: of course you both remember yeah naturally oh yeah naturally.
0: totally uh, yeah definitely uh, yeah
1: <laughs> I remember all kinds of things I'm famous f- I'm famous for remembering <laughs> them and that's well but it, my that's father in- once remembered it there that's right that's interesting that you mentioned that because uh, as we're about to see on the next page the the current ticking clock Uh, that is probably weighing on the back of our minds, certainly weighing on the back of mine, is about to be unticked. It's about to be stopped.
2: So I wonder if this is sort of a lesson that a young writer might take, is that if you have to do a bit of pre-work to move some pieces around, you can make that a little more interesting and tense by adding a ticking clock in the background. Like Rothfuss has to do a fair bit of work here and there to set up and then take away and reset up new sources of tension and ticking clocks in what would otherwise be a pretty tame series of interactions. Cause like, obviously yeah. we have to see Quoth solve this problem in order to uh, get the mayor on his side. But unless there's some imminent threat looming getting worse, it's not going to be nearly as exciting.
1: Yeah, I think I would have a slightly different takeaway from that, which is, like, there's many different things you can do to create tension in the reader, and you can be doing – and because they create tension on different levels, you can be doing more of them at once. Because, like, the close relationship with the mayor is a point of tension, right? The mayor doesn't fully trust him yet, uh, and Quoth hasn't gotten what he needs out of the mayor yet. So, like, that is – a point of tension or conflict that we are meant to be thinking about. But then there's another one on top of that, which is that Quoth has put his most precious possession in Hawk and, you know, time is running out for him to get it back. So I think maybe it's like a good idea to, to be thinking about, multiple points of conflict or tension for your character and always have a couple of them bubbling away. And then when one of them starts to rise, another one can go on the back burner, but you always want to have a couple going at once. Is that fair to say?
2: Yeah, I think that's fair to say. What I don't understand is why Quoth didn't just climb the cliff and retrieve his loot from the nest. What? Hmm.
0: I missed something.
2: We all missed something. Because it was in... Hawk.
0: Oh, that's silly. D- no, listeners, out. if you laugh
2: before I explain the joke, give yourselves ten points.
1: Ugh. No, you should flog yourselves. You should like give yourself ten demerits. <laughs>
2: Take it out with the lash on your worthless hides. Can we? Can we lash ourselves with a letter? We sure can. This letter is titled "Esquire," episode three hundred and eighty-three from Nico, who writes, "Hi, y'all. Guess what? Y'all are in fact communicating with one." Nicole, last name withheld, Esquire. I can't speak to the rest of the world, but in the USA, the Esquire means Esquire. The ESQ suffix means Esquire, which means both sir and, quote, member of the state bar and person who practices law. So Esquire of 2021 means a lawyer, basically. And as a lawyer, even as a lawyer in the fire academy, my title is Esquire. Pretty damn cool. Also, I would be crap at carrying shields and feeding horses. So good thing I'm not a squire. Fun with words, signed, Nico. Delightful. Oh,
0: but so, also strange because of the usage in the book.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I think we could just assume that, you know, the use of, of Esquire to mean someone who is, a, you know, who passed the bar is a more modern term. They don't have anything like that in Temerant. Fine.
2: Yeah, it might be loosely related to, like, the the remaining nod to the peerage that they have in like the the legal system and the government of Britain and maybe that was ported over to the Americas. We don't have that nomenclature here in Canada, which is perhaps even more closely related to the British system. So who knows anything?
1: Yeah, and but we also don't call our lawyers barristers and solicitors, which they do in Britain. Anyway, it's all very confusing. All right. Uh, But yeah, if you see Esquire on a business card, it usually means the person's a lawyer. Well, there you go. All right.
2: I've been Nick Esquire. (laughs) Come on. Come on. You can do it. No. Well, I've been Viscount Jeremy. Uh, Now we're talking.
0: I don't have any cool words.
2: (laughs) And that's been Jordana. Baroness Jordana, lost for
1: words as usual. (laughs) (laughs) Paige. Um, The. win. win.